I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome back to Return to the Shadows. Dom, how are you this morning? I'm very well. It's afternoon for me, fortunately. It's not bright and early for for me. It's (laughs) two o'clock here, which is lovely, but I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. For those who don't know, I'm Catherine McNamara. I'm Dominic Sherwood. And here we are on our lovely Shadowhunters. This is a rewatch episode, Dom. Mm -hmm. It sure is. Episode 108? Episode 108. And... It is entitled Bad Blood, also a great Taylor Swift song. The episode originally aired on March 1st, 2016, and the writer is Alison Reimer. The director was Jeremiah S. Chechik? 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 Hmm. I don't know. Apologies, Jeremiah. We rarely talk about people with their last names. It's true. Well, and this is one of those directors. He came in for this one episode. He never Mm -hmm. ended up coming back, but... We all had such a lovely, at least from my memory, had a lovely time working with him. Although my, I was in definitely in 
out of my mind during this episode, given mm. <laughs> the subject matter. Um, but we have all of our series regulars, including guests, a lot of guest stars this episode. We had Alan Van Sprang, Maxim Roy, David Castro, John Course. Oh, and a new guest star, Stephanie Bennett as Lydia Branwell. Caitlin Lieb is back. Christina Cox is back. Nicola Carida Mute is back. Paulino Nunez. Uh, Susanna Fournier is back as young Jocelyn. Nikeem Provo is back as young Luke, Jordan Huduma as Samuel Blackwell, and Jack Fulton as Max Lightwood. We got a whole full house this episode. Wow, good job. Uh, as far as what we're going to watch this episode, difficult decisions must be made. Alec and Clary are forced to make some hard decisions with the word of Alec, Jace, and Isabel's extracurricular activities with Clary reaching the clave. An envoy is sent to observe the Lightwoods running the New York Institute. Once the clave representative arrives, it is very clear how much trouble the Lightwoods are in. Meanwhile, Clary is faced with a devastating decision. Dun, dun, dun. Shooting for this episode began on August 11th, 2015, at the height of mosquito season. And uh, this features a lot of book moments. This episode is very book heavy between a lot of, for both of our characters in particular. Yeah, this is actually one of the things that has remained in my possession is the, the statue of the falcon that was in my <gasps> room. Right. I still have one of the very Did few things. Did we have this falcon? That Was he in your room first season as well? Or was it just when they built like the season clock two, I didn't have a room first season. You had that one that they built for one. The, the universal room that was sort of anybody's yeah. room. Yeah, there was that <laughs> the one that bedroom. one training episode. Yeah, <laughs> but no, we all we actually got bedrooms, like actual proper bedroom season two. Yeah. So yeah, this season I didn't have a bedroom or a falcon. But oh, wow. season two I did. This is something I forgot about. Lydia Branwell is not a character uh, in the books. She's a new character that was created for the series, one of the first. The Branwells are one of the Shadowhunter families, but Lydia is a character that they our writer's room created as sort of a um, obstacle for a lot of the Lightwoods and many of their storylines this season. Mm, interesting. Is it in the books that her ancestors and Magnus Baines created the first portal? Is that a book thing? That is a book thing. And uh, Henry and Charlotte Branwell ran the London Institute. Got it. Why didn't we shoot in London? Would have loved to shoot in London. Right? We should have. Well, if they ever do the Infernal Devices and, you know, we pop back in to play our ancestors, then we might shoot in London. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Put it out there. Put it out there. So when we start this episode... We have a we have a little bit of what I like to call Jason Clary googly eyes over the cup. <laughs> yeah, it's a very interesting scene. Yeah, quickly brought out of our reverie by is this, doesn't Alec come in and interrupt us? Isn't that what happens? I think it's Isabel first with the whip. That's right. Izzy steals it from us. We do googly eyes in public too often. There's too much yeah. too much PDA. For me, that's a lot of like, why are we just in the middle of the Institute? Izzy was right to break us out of that reverie. Well, we did just make out in the middle of the Institute. So I feel like once also we broke that ice, it's like, it's just the ice is broken. They're like, these these kids are already the irresponsible shadow hunter group and now they're making out. Uh, <laughs> it would have been funny to shoot like the background supporting artists, like watching that super long kiss happen. <laughs> Everyone's just like, are we going to continue working around this? Okay. Cool. I actually need to be over there, so I'm going to squeeze past Sorry. the making out couple. Jace, is this your book club again? <laughs> we don't know about that yet. Do we? No, that's season, that's season two as well. You know about it. I know about it. Yeah. yeah. All anyway. too well. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, yes, we do have Grumpy Alec again coming in to interrupt and go, no. No. This is dangerous. We have to give it to the clay. This is what we do. We use our universal safe. It's interesting, too, though, because you have this sort of standoff between 
Jace agreeing with Clary and Isabel agreeing with Alec. So you have, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of standoff, as it were, with Jace once again choosing Clary instead of the Parapetai. Yeah, not ideal. Which is then interrupted by sort of yes. the there are two heavy hitting points in this episode, and this is the first of them. There is mm-hmm. an alarm. By the way, I'm like 80% sure the one and only time we use a proximity alarm in the show. And I don't know why. It was a really cool idea. Like we had a circle member in episode one who was just outside the Institute. I don't know why we didn't come rushing out in forces. Even Lydia's entrance. Why didn't the proximity alarm pick up that? You know what I mean? Like, I guess maybe she could have had some knowledge of it and usurped it or or whatever. Oh, I know why. It picks up demons and demon blood. So the the circle member and Lydia, well, they're... Mm. I don't mm. know. Yeah, both should have been picked up. They're not. The, just one. They're faulty alarms. They're from the eighties. They need to they're be redone. Alarms. We don't have the budget the 80s, for it right now. They're from the sixteen eighties. They're useless. <laughs> Absolutely useless. Anyway, Kat, tell us who and what we bump into. So we run outside the institute, uh, which this was actually shot in our soundstage. They just re- mm-hmm. removed some of the church walls and put some vines and smoke. And all of a sudden we turn and there is none other than Raphael carrying Simon Lewis dead in his arms. Yeah. Friend or foe Raphael. I think he becomes like this episode is when we get to solidify him a little more as friends, which I like. Yeah. And you still have that sort of angsty relationship with him. But towards the end of the episode, I remember thinking like, oh, he's on our team now. He's one of, he's like on our side, you know? Well, David is just gold in this episode. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's given a lot of the exposition to have to explain how vampires work and kind of give Clary all the information she needs. But this is the first time we really get to see him shine as Raphael. And it's also, I noticed rewatching it back, it's that scene, this next scene that we're coming up to where they lay Simon on the table and start to give Clary her options as all of this horrific mythology is setting in. He starts to take steps of being a leader of the vampire clan, which, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, that's kind of where we're getting to. But he starts to, to take charge. We did some of that know, already, though. A little bit, a little bit, but it's here where he goes, no, Camille is wrong. Camille did this, not the vampires. Mm -hmm. This is all Camille's fault and her doing because she's bloodthirsty and has lost her mind. And not only does he put the blame on her, but he takes ownership and takes responsibility and starts being the liaison for the vampires before he even has that authority going, Mm -hmm. you know, the vampires don't want a war with the shadow hunters. We don't want a war with the mundanes. We are not a part of this. And he starts speaking for the group. And that's such a great turn for his character, even so early on. Yeah, absolutely. Also, poor limp body Simon. But he spends the first like third of this episode just a limp body. Dead on and table. So much of that is my fault. And here's a little fun tidbit for anyone who didn't know. I'm like morbidly afraid of dummies or figurines like anything that looks sort of vaguely human like and is human size puts me into like a full panic attack I can't breathe and it's a nightmare and they because both david and i have to carry simon for longer periods of time they approached us and was like we can just get it we can get a dummy in and i was like absolutely not in a million years i will carry alberto <laughs> can't do it wouldn't be able to do it there's absolutely yeah. no way i mean kudos to you for taking one for the team and and going no i'm i'll just carry alberto or i'll just well kudos you know. to alberto really for just being like it's not comfortable it particularly i think for anybody like you know my arms are equal and opposite force to the back of his neck and the back of his legs just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth 
so kudos to Alberto. Thank you very much, mate, for letting mm. me carry you instead of having to wet myself every time. Oh, the Domberto partnership. We're feeling the love. <laughs> um, but that being said, we have poor Alberto who's trying not to giggle. I think did Alberto start snoring at one point? So he fell asleep. He fell, he fell asleep, asleep. For, at one point for sure. These were very high energy, and we did talk about these. Like these are very draining days. Yeah. Especially if I can't remember exactly what we did whether we were in or out of the studio in the previous episode, in episode seven. But when you go, when you shift and all of a sudden, you know, I've done movies like Vampire Academy was obviously very vampire based. Right. And what we did Shocker. was the first half of it, I know, mental. The first half <laughs> of it was in a studio and was all daytime stuff. And then we got a break for a week to shift to nighttime stuff. And then the whole second um, half of the shoot was night shoots. Yeah. Um, so you could adjust your body clock during that week to waking up at three in the afternoon and not going to bed until like, two, three in the morning and then figure it out that way. On a TV show, you don't get that luxury because they're like, this episode's going to be a nighttime episode. So yesterday you got up at seven and you went to bed at seven normal time. Today you're going to get up at three and you're not going to go to bed until three. And it just messes with you. Yeah. And I think the day that we were shooting with Alberto sleeping on a table was our, they call it a split day where you start mm -hmm. at noon and you end at, you know, 12 or one in the morning. That way the next day you're yeah. into nights and you use as much time as you can. And this actually, this can be our set or location feature Location in the episode. Yeah. Well, the graveyard was a location, but the room was actually the cellar of the studio. The cellar mm -hmm. of the Institute was actually the cellar of our studio, which was quite celery. Look at her, cap full of answers. I love it. Oh, well, I guess we should explain that. We should talk about this a little bit. We should talk about the, before we get into it, Valentine has a bad guy speech coming up. But first we should talk about a little bit more of the mythology of the vampire transformation and the fledgling status and all of this, because that's really ultimately what Clary is faced with here. Hey, your bud drank vampire blood. Um, he also was bitten by a vampire. So he's now a fledgling and he's dead. Now you have to choose. You have three options. Yeah. Leave him in purgatory forever as a fledgling. Underground. Un you you yeah. leave him buried because he doesn't yeah. wake up with the strength to make it up. To make it up. You stake him or turn him into a vampire. Bury him. Let him dig his way up. Give him blood. Vampire. Vampire. Yeah. Three options. Not great. What a choice. Not a great choice for either of them. What would you do? What would you want if it were you as a person? What would you want? Well, I definitely wouldn't want to be buried in a fledgling state for eternity. I know that. Much. Obviously, yeah, definitely not purgatory. <laughs> no. Um, see, it's tough because I really, I really like food, and so only being able to drink blood for the rest of my life would oh, just I kind see, of be a torture of its own. That. We cover that in season two that there is an ability to get food down. But it's not the same. If it's same. mixed with something, if it's mixed with blood. But it's not the same. I mean, same. I'm sure to the vampires, it's delish. Like, you know, oatmeal butterscotch cookies with blood and like, a steak is one thing. You have thing. it all gluten-free anyway. It's all gross. Listen, it was just one time. One time mm -hmm. I did that experiment. Mm -hmm. It didn't work. Did one not. time. I don't know what I would want. I don't know, because it's not the food for me so much. It's the concept of, like, ma the Magnus issue, the issue that Magnus has that everyone he grows close to eventually dies and will leave him, and he's left on yeah. his own, trapped in this sort of horrendous perpetual loop of loneliness, which I don't think I would deal with very well, and I think I would probably end up doing the same as him. Like, have my people around me now, and once they've left, I would keep everyone at arm's reach and wouldn't... But then also, imagine the things you get to experience being immortal. Imagine the transitions in humanity, society, economics, science, you know, the 
possibility space travel like yeah. finally figure out if aliens are going to come and say hi or if they're going to try and avoid us you know what i mean it's true although equally so there's so much of society that becomes cyclical and so many mistakes that get repeated over and over and over mm. again if you were immortal and and had lived for several centuries you'd be like guys Let's not do this again, please. But then maybe you could be an advocate for that. Maybe you could figure out a way of sort of adjusting your persona. Every, You know, there's that theory that that's what act- that some actors do. Some of the more influential actors do that. There are these pictures of like DiCaprio, who's obviously very um, environmentally minded. And there are these photos of like someone who looks exactly like him from the 1600s. And the, this like harebrained theory, and I don't believe in it, but it's, you know, this thing where they're like, well, these people have figured out how to either live for a long time or jump through time to save these mistakes from happening and just have to adjust their persona and become someone influential. Why wouldn't you do that? If you had the ability to see, you know, overly topical example, but like a potential war coming Mm -hmm. and you had seen this happen once before, why wouldn't we be taking all the steps we possibly could to avoid it? That's true. Wow. It's very political for very early in the morning. I mean, it's a heavy episode. So it's a heavy episode. So, but this is also one of the first times that Clary, it's kind of a wake up call for her. And she goes, Oh, because we've seen in the last few episodes, she's thanked people and apologized to people and sort of going, Look, all these people are dying and potentially losing their lives for me. And I'm not sure how I feel about it. And then she gets slapped in the face with, with this and realizes, Oh my God, this is all my fault. Well, I, and more importantly, I mean, because it isn't, it isn't. We spoke about this briefly before where like, There are other things like we should have been aware of the potential of him being a fledgling. We should have asked him. Honestly, the shadow hunters should have some sort of quarantine procedure. Were you around a vampire? (laughs) They like to bite. Why don't we put you in quarantine for two weeks? Like, So you don't succumb to the addiction. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I think the difference here and the reason this was so hard, and I remember talking this through with Michael Reese when we were filming it. The reason this is so hard is this is the first time that this is your choice just yeah. your choice. The, whatever happens is on you. We mm. can't really advise. Raphael can't advise. I can't advise. We're not using any of the rest of the shadow hunters. The clave would say what the clave would say. This choice is on you. And that's what's yeah. so hard, I think. Yeah. And it's for the first time, it's, you know, especially d- and not being able to talk to Simon. Because when Clary mm-hmm. has to make a decision, who does she talk to? Simon. And yeah. he's not there. And so there is no one to be that voice of reason. And there is no one because it's him. And you know, this is something she struggles with throughout the episode. And also, I wanted to touch on this because of, number one, uh, we've heard Alberto's beautiful performance of this voicemail he leaves for Clary in the previous episode. Mm -hmm. And then we get to hear it again in this one with Clary on the phone. But I I was trying to remember if they actually played me that audio. I'm curious as well. I don't know. And they didn't. Oh, they didn't have it. But it was Silic. who was our second AD, who was our first or second AD in that episode. And he was also an actor before he, you know, did this. So when you're having someone like that read lines with you, it tends to work out. It's but normally it's just helpful. an AD or a PA or the director or someone who's yeah, just reading who, in very someone monotone. Someone who has normally no interest in acting as well, like absolutely no interest <laughs> whatsoever. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It took 11 years to get to this sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Now we get what we've been missing for a couple of episodes, which is a good old classic Valentine Moritzstern bad guy speech. Yeah, we're going to get him monologuing. That's what's going to uh, happen. I mean, who better to monologue than Alan Van Sprang, though, to be fair? It's interesting because it's the first time he takes ownership of Clary as mm-hmm. a child and, you know, is sort of going, did you, did you think I wouldn't figure it out, Jocelyn? Sort of espousing his, his grandmaster plan. Yeah. Then we're back. We get an intro. We get a we full do. intro, which is actually, a, it's a nice little shuffle from seeing his face sort of twice. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's a nice little bait and switch for the audience because having just seen Valentine and heard him espouse this plan, mm-hmm. suddenly we see him again and it's this thing of, oh no, is it actually him? What's happening? We don't know. 
I do also believe it's the first time we see the use of the shape-shifting rune, which was the first rune created for the show that is not in the books. So not only do we have a new character coming in that was created for the series, but we have a new rune coming in that was also created for the series. So we're starting to take some liberties from the books. We're starting to kind of move in and through and away from you know the, the traditional canon of the story, but in a way that serves TV quite well because we've seen the Lightwoods are in trouble. The parents kind of bring down the hammer and say, look, the clave is bringing down the hammer. So we are, we've got to buckle down or we're going to lose our legacy. Agreed. That's one of the fun things that you get to do on a TV show. And you're given this sort of opportunity, you get the opportunity to not only follow the books and follow the storyline that already exists, but also play with that and amalgamate that like, I I think the books of this lend themselves very well to a TV show because there's so much in it. Yeah. But then also we get to take this sort of creative control. I mean, not as necessarily the writers mostly, <laughs> but we do get this sort of creative control where we can sort of do our thing, which is nice. And we get to tell the story our way and and create things if we want to create things or take things away if we want to take things away it's you yeah. know and as we did in this case shuffle things around because the the vampire transformation we talked about this a little bit with alberto but it actually takes place in book two and that's the majority of book two is the peter parker simon and him turning into a vampire and the transformation and all of this stuff this scene that we have doesn't take place until as Alberto so aptly put it, chapter eight or chapter 16 of book two. We're not sure. How does he know that? This because like, he's Alberto. Because this is what he does. Photographic memory of books he hasn't read in two years or four years or however long it was. Ludicrous. So there's that. And then, yeah. So we see Lydia enter for the first time and go, I'm here to I'm here to keep an eye on you. Mm. These are fun. The shape-shifting runes are fun. Yeah. And I noticed this one particularly. Alan is about... 5'10", 5'11"-ish, mm-hmm. maybe six foot. Mm-hmm. Stephanie is 5'5", five, 5'6"? Five, five, yeah, she's about, yeah, she's about my height, yeah. And we don't adjust for height at all. Like, at, no. it just doesn't happen. There's no, no, like, if you watch it, her head literally doesn't move from, because what should happen is he should get shorter and then turn into, you know, her. Doesn't happen. Doesn't it's happen. A little, little forced perspective. Yeah. Well, at this point, because we haven't really met valentine with any of our like heroes heroes that we know sort of roughly how tall they are we're basically assuming that alan van sprang is five five and i love that as an image (laughs) don't tell alan that don't tell him i'm gonna oh i'm gonna i think that is hilarious i wish we'd (laughs) kept that like in the show that we'd like we actually finally bump into valentine you're like oh he's like my height hey little buddy I thought you'd be taller. You're not a threat, are you rascal? You're not a threat, are you? You just want to take over the world. <laughs> oh really my funny. god! The I can see the steam coming out of Alan's ears. I can. Yeah, see he it. wouldn't been very happy I'd for sure. <laughs> Speaking of steam coming out of people's ears, we get to see the Forsaken for the first time. We do. I think, arguably, maybe the only time in three seasons we get to see Forsaken. You know, I'm trying to remember. They may or may not come back in episode 11 or 12 or 11 or 13 of this. Of our sh- Of season one? Of season of one. Of our show. Of our show. <laughs> of course, yes. of our show. <laughs> no, the Forsaken, they show up on Vampire Diaries a couple they times. They just, yeah. Any, any uh, Toronto-based show, they just got loaned yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, maybe. They probably still have their prosthetics. Seriously, yeah. No, I don't think they come back. Because we kill both of these two. Spoiler alert. But we do. I don't think we see them again. I really don't. Because anytime sort of after like 10, 
Mm-hmm. There's no need. Really. But what about in the beginning of two when you have the thing and the thing and the ooh, ooh, and you you're all out there and there were sunglasses, dude, and then you know. Oh no, they were they were all no because they, they all worked. Yeah, because they it wasn't experiments anymore. It was. Uh, it was the real yeah, deal, real deal schmeal. Which sort of starts like right. now-ish from sort of here right. on out. He knows that he has the ability to make actual shadow hunters and shifts his focus. So I don't think we see Forsaken ever again. You know what? I think you're right, and thank you for understanding my um, foreshadowing sign language. I got it. It was the sunglasses <laughs> that got me. I, that I, I got guy. it from the sunglasses because that was a hell of a day. <laughs> It was very warm, and we all looked down, and oh, this isn't going to make any we'll sense. But I'll, we'll get I'll there. do we'll a little. I can tell a little story now about this, so we'll tease what's going to happen in season two. But there's a scene on a big container ship, and I'm looking down over this container ship, and there's about <laughs> 200 supporting artists, like background, and all doing the same thing in unison. And then one guy wearing sunglasses, and I was like, "Hey, question mark? Why is that?" guy wearing sunglasses is really odd it just really stands out <laughs> and he bless his heart he actually couldn't take them off that day because he just yeah. had i think lasik yeah. so he couldn't take the glasses off and they were like hey man i don't think we can use you in this scene we're going to bring you back into something else but like we can't because there's 200 people here nobody else is wearing sunglasses it's just you so i felt pretty bad about <laughs> that but i'm pretty sure we brought him back I think we did. I mean, if I know our our folks, they were really good about things like that. You know, after we see the Forsaken be made for the first time. And ominously turn up at the Jade Wolf, which yes. I thought this was actually very cleverly written. One of them, and I remember watching, re-watching it, forgetting what happens at the end of this episode. One of them just fucks off. <laughs> I'm like, where's he going? <laughs> Where are you off to, you like, oh, rascal? Nope. Didn't sign up for werewolves. Which I thought was really interesting and then very clever writing because even me as an audience member knowing what happens yeah. i was like where are you going why what is the purpose of this and it's interesting too to think about because and i don't know if it's just the nature of the werewolves or maybe what where the jade wolf is located but it seems as though all of the other downworld headquarters are a bit more secure jade wolf mm. seems to get attacked a lot yeah i wonder if it's to do or to, if this location was chosen because of the two or let's say of the of sort of the five lead races, main races that we discover in this show, Shadowhunters, Warlocks, Vampires, Seelies, Werewolves, those five, the two that are good at tracking are the Werewolves and the Shadowhunters. Mm-hmm. And the Werewolves have a leg up on tracking over the Shadowhunters because they're by the water. Oh, look at you. I wonder. Is, That's I really know. smart. Yeah. It, I mean, look, I, I'm only thinking of it that way because it was very expensive to put water in the back of every one of those shots because there is no, <laughs> there's no Hudson there. That's like, true. we're in Toronto. That's just a parking yeah, lot. It, it is. Anywho, cut to Forsaken has disappeared. Ominous Forsaken and, uh, and old, what's his tits? What's his name? What's this guy's name? Oh, uh, uh, Blackwell. 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 That's it. Blackwell. They all ominously walk into the Jade Wolf, leaving. Clary looking for something specific to help her make her choice. Or have you made your choice at this point? No. No, she doesn't make the choice till the graveyard. But it's it's Mm -hmm. that thing of we know there's not a lot of time, so we have to be prepared for both. Mm -hmm. So she goes to Simon's apartment to pull out all the things that she needs to give Simon a proper funeral and, you know, sort of try and piece together anything that's happening. And she kind of, she starts to crack a little bit and Jace sees this. And do you want to touch, because I know this was a big story point for you and a big book thing Mm -hmm. for Jace. So 
this is one of the sort of, it's a big story in the books, um, I came to find out, that tells you a huge amount about why Jace is the way he is. Because I think the whole story here, and I think part of the reason why Jace fights Clary so much when she says love makes you stronger, you know, it makes you make decisions, whatever, you can follow your emotions, is because that's who he used to be and it got beaten out of him, literally right. beaten out of him. Right. And that's what this story refers to. He cherished this thing. He cherished this falcon. It was his. It, it loved him. He loved it. It was his best friend in what we will come to find out much later on in the show was a very isolated first decade of his life, a very yeah. painful, solitary first decade. And for the first time, he had a compatriot, a partner, a friend, something, anything. This was, I think, the first time where Jace's walls started to come up and why mm. he developed this sort of stony, sarcastic exterior to keep himself safe from essentially exactly this happening ever again, because it is arguably one of the more horrendous stories or treatments of a child that you could ever do. And he was, I mean, we again, we'll find this out later on. He just says, Jace just says a boy, but we will find out later on that he was, he couldn't have been any older than 10 because he came to join the Lightwoods when he was 10 years old. So he couldn't have been any older than 10. Is it this episode? Do we find out? Do the, I mean, we know the audience knows, but do you ever find out that this story is about Jace in this episode? I don't exactly recall, but I, I don't remember I mean, either. I wonder if when we're sat next to the grave, we have sort of a heart to heart. It just says a boy. It just says a boy. When, and it is just a boy when I'm telling the story. It's because you're facing the other way, if you remember. So the emotions that filter on my face, as much as he's trying to sort of suppress them, because that's the whole point of this story, the audience can tell that this story is about Jace. That was the idea. But I don't know if in this episode you find out, Clary finds out. I don't know. I don't think she quite clocks it. I mean, maybe there is, you know, I think had it not been for everything else and all the extenuating circumstances, she would have put the pieces together. But at this point, as you said, I'm facing away and I'm way more concerned about my friend that I have to either kill or turn into a monster. Next, we end up, we go see Luke because Clary goes, look, there's nobody else I can talk to about this. Let's go see Luke because he is Simon's dad as much as he is mine, and he deserves to have a say in this. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. I actually, this is one of those scenes like we talked about in in the episode with Alberto that I completely forgot about, but was one of my favorite aspects of season one because you get to see a little bit more about Luke's backstory and what Jocelyn did for Luke and the choices that Jocelyn made when. Luke was turned into a werewolf. And in the very same way, Luke is watching this history play out again with Simon and Clary, but gives her a key piece of advice that I'm not sure she 100% follows. Because Clary is more focused on the fact of the story, oh, Jocelyn saved Luke's life and look at what Luke has made of this life. Mm -hmm. Not the struggle that Luke had to go through that he goes, look, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. He's going to need people around him if you decide to do this. And he goes, but make sure you do it for him, not for you. Not for you, yeah. Which I'm not sure she does. I mean, it's sort of an impossible question. Like, how do you separate yourself entirely from that emotion? The only way to do it really would be to ask someone else. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if she does make this decision for Simon. In fact, we know she doesn't because he comes back. She knows everything about Simon and he comes back and is furious. We know that she didn't make this choice for Simon. She made it. Right. In fact, don't you even say something along the lines of, like, I couldn't do, I couldn't live without you. I'm sorry. I couldn't have done. I can't remember exactly what that line is when he emerges. I think emerges. that's in, in the next episode. Does he not emerge in this episode? No, he emerges, but we talk about it more in nine. 
Like he and I have a lot of conversations about it in the next episode. Oh, oh, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. Got it. But before we get there, we got to go back to the Institute. First of all, this is definitely the first time we see a shirtless Alec and Magnus mm. have a conversation. Frustrated Alec. So a very sweaty boxing. Because haven't we already, have we, isn't it this episode we find out that the Lightwoods are like, they're bad. This is it. This is exactly the other point I wanted to bring up because Lydia makes Alec aware of the fact that his parents were circle members, which Alec and Isabel did not know. And on top of that, Alec is already frustrated with his parents because they're talking about marrying him off and doing all of this. So it's interesting to see these two connect on the concept of shadow hunters and marriage and the circle. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. And this becomes a very contentious part of I think everyone, like even Jace questions his loyalty to his parents, mm-hmm. Maris and Robert, later on in, yeah, which fucking parents? I was which trying to parents? remember which names. I mean, which parents. Clary's always questioning the loyalty of her parents, yeah. but that's another story. <laughs> but Maris and Robert, he questions in, I think, episode 13, he starts to question whether or not they are, and ends up kind of being proven right at the beginning of season two. Yeah. Um, so come back and listen to what we have to say about episode one of season two, because it's trippy. We also get to meet it, before we were about to see that, you know, we have the cool Alex shirtless scene. Everyone starts palpitating because it's so sexy. It's true. I certainly did. And we get to meet the best forensic pathologist in all of New York. It's true. Is that what is that what we call her? I do believe so. And that is the one and only Isabel Lightwood. And you get to see her and Magnus playing with now what we, it's funny, they're they're basically COVID face shields. Which is why they're exactly what we use for those face shields. Yeah, those those are the early ones we had on set. Yeah, which looking back is kind of jarring. Yeah, it's weird to see people wearing it, and I'm like, "Where's your mask, man? This that mm-hmm. is useless without a mask." Listen, exactly. don't you watch the news. Pay attention. <laughs> I remember laughing at this the first time I saw it because, again, you know, this is one of the fun things about working on a TV show with so many characters in it. Is Cat and I are not there for those scenes, so we don't know how they went down. And the things, I think, I'm pretty sure that the whole Magnus being disgusted by this dissection of this body is just, is Harry. Harry just took that and ran with it. I don't think any of that was in the script. I would bet money on that. Right? And he does one of my favorite things towards the end where any other person would pinch their nose like this. And he goes like this with two (laughs) fingers and just stops his nostrils. And I think it's the coolest thing. He just, it's because it's so Magnus and it's so funny. And I remember seeing it for the first time when, when, you know, all those years ago when we watched it for the first time when it came out. And I was like, that is so funny. That's so funny and such something that only Harry would get away with and only Magnus would get away with. And it was such a brilliant thing to watch. He's so good at just making these choices. Mm -hmm. He'll just make a choice to go, you know, I'm going to be disgusted by this and then let himself riff on that for the entire scene. And it keeps him entertained and he's having fun. And you can tell it comes across in his performance. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. We see this alliance begin to form between Alec and Lydia as they confront mm-hmm. Maris and Robert. Mm-hmm. And as we go through this, this is the beginning of their plan, given that Lydia has lost the love of her life and will most likely never fall in love again, given the Shadowhunter's lore. And Alec mm-hmm. is beginning to realize, yeah, he thinks he probably won't. I think whether or not he realizes it, he knows he's met the love of his life, but doesn't see a way for them to be together. I agree. I think it's more, I think, I think with Alec, the thing is here is he's choosing his duty Mm -hmm. over his heart. Yeah. But we hatch this plan and Alec proposes Mm -hmm. to Lydia Branwell, which I remember reading that in the script and going, what? No. And I think the audience did the same thing. She's overdramatic as cat. I am when I'm reading the scripts for the first time. It's, it's a wild ride. Absolutely. And she, accepts does she accept there and then she does Mm, i think so yeah but then speaking of love i want to talk about the scene with christina in the office oh that's this episode also yeah you're right yeah jason clary go see simon's mom speak no see no hear no yeah yeah because she has to tell her something 
that something happened to Simon and he's gone, which is interesting because it parallels a scene in season three that Clary is not in. Oh, God, it does. Right? It's the first time we start this process. But I could cry right here. Clary doesn't have the skill that somebody else has to kind of bring all that full circle. And and it's not her choice to make. Agreed. So she sort of puts a Band-Aid on it until they can figure out, you know, what they're going to do. But that was so interesting because that's one of the first times we really got to play with the whole glamour on a scene in Mm -hmm. a smaller scale, that there weren't a bunch of background. There weren't a bunch of people. It was Yumi and Christina who plays Mrs. Lewis in her office. And it was fun. And also having an actress like Christina who is so good at just playing and rolling with the punches in that way. But yeah, it was was interesting. What did you think? Because you were the one who was glamoured who had to kind of play that game. So this is, again, a fun, like, technical thing that happens with the glamour when we're on set is for a decent portion of that filming, I'm physically not in that room, obviously, because it would (laughs) be much more expensive to just, like, digitally erase me. (laughs) Digitally erase, speaking of, eraser, coming soon. HBO Max. Couldn't have written a better segue myself. Um, (laughs) So for a lot of that, I'm physically not there. And the other things that we sort of learned to do subconsciously, which is really interesting, and we get to see this a little in season two with Matt and I, which is really funny because we both did it. I remember in rehearsal, we did it by accident. There's a scene where there's a, a human detective working with Luke. And at one point, the police person, the police officer, walks into the path of Jason Alec. Like we were stood next to each other. And without even thinking, we both just took a step up the step behind us. So this person had a clear path to walk through because they don't know we're there. They can't see Mm -hmm. us. So they would have bumped into us physically. That sort of started here a little. Like if you watch, there's an intention that we worked with with Jace where he intentionally doesn't try and touch things. He doesn't move things. He doesn't accidentally bump into things. He's very aware of his surroundings until he does it intentionally, until he makes the choice to, I'm going to break this reverie. And that's something that the Shadowhunters just had to train to do. We had to figure out how to not elbow a book or like stub your toe or whatever because then the game's given away so that's one of the fun things that we got to play with with glamours is like the physical how you know the caution that you have to take yeah i know i would not be good at that if i was actually a shadow hunter you know how clumsy oh, I, <laughs> I would be horrible. i also i have like the attention space of a four-year-old goldfish like i would I'd be like oh i'm glamoured okay great i said oh and i would go and pick something up or like is this fresh tea i don't know what it is oh shit i was supposed to be glamoured oh damn it you would go pet a dog is what you would do. I would go pet a dog for sure, 100%. It doesn't matter what I'm doing if that is the number one thing that will distract me for sure. Yeah. You're like that dog from Up when it comes to other dogs. Squirrel. Squirrel. Dog. Yeah, 100%. Dan and I are like that a lot. Like if there's a rustle or a noise and we're cuddling, they will both together go like both of our heads at the same time. <laughs> quite That's funny. adorable. Um, something slightly less adorable, though, is we're back in the graveyard and we've buried Simon. And it's another conversation from the books that is brought up here. And it's interesting how many book moments are in this episode. We normally get one or two, but this is mm. another big one. And it's become a full theme of our show in that, you know, you have this shadow hunters versus mundane. The law is hard, but it's the law. Emotions cloud judgment. Except... Clary, coming from the mundane world, has more experience with emotions and and their benefit as opposed to their detriment. In this case, it's a bit questionable, but she and Jace are discussing all of that, and Clary goes, no, the first rule of being a mundane is that love makes you fight harder for what you want, and love makes you stronger. And that is something that all of these characters learn as the series goes on, but, you know, 
balancing it in different ways. I guess. I mean, I have always had an issue with it as when I started preparing this role, it was very much like he was a Marine. Like, you know, he was Delta, like he was the best of the best. And that's not to say those guys are void of emotion. I don't think that's the case, at least not the guys that I've met in the past. However, there is a neutrality to this is the job I have to do. And it's not necessarily something I want to do or the choice that I want to make, but it's the job that I have to do because I'm not protecting me necessarily. I'm protecting the man to my left shoulder and to my right shoulder. And we work as a team. We work together. Right. And that was something, so this slow penetration of Clary's mindset about emotions making its way into Jace's sort of, I guess, waning mind, undecided mind, is it, it is slow. It takes time because there are times later on, Jace is required to do things that he doesn't agree with. And yeah. that's what we were trained to do. Like we were trained to obey these mm-hmm. orders. And when you don't, the wheels can come off. Mm-hmm. Or if you choose not to, because you think it's the right thing to do? Or what if you're ordered to do something that you know is the incorrect thing to do and you have to disobey it, but you know that's going to cause collateral damage and whatever. So it ends up being this tricky thing where the less romanticized version of this is like, you don't use your emotions. Like this is the shit situation that we're in and we take our emotions out of it. What would Simon want? And that is what Simon would have wanted is he would have wanted to be laid to rest. Like that would have, you know what I mean? Yeah. But this is not reality. This is a TV show and our characters (laughs) are ruled by their emotions. And thank God, because otherwise we wouldn't have got to watch another two and a half seasons of Alberto's glorious performances. It's true. But also to your point, it's interesting for Clary as well, as she kind of plays with this idea of emotions, cloud judgment versus love makes you stronger and emotions can be a tool. Especially we find this out more in season three, she can't trust her emotions and her intentions and her heart anymore because of other extenuating circumstances and familial relationships. And it's all, it all gets warped and twisted because there are so many influences on those emotions. They're volatile and you can't trust them at a certain point in this world. Well, even worse, we could have sort of ended our story at the end of season two with a choice with one choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And love makes you fight harder for what you want. Yes, it does. But what you wanted, what your emotions were telling you you wanted was not for the betterment of society. It was not for the betterment of the shadow world or the human world. It was for the betterment of you. Yep. Just you. Yep. We could have solved the problems, all of them, done, it like that, done. And that's not what happened. And that's a good example of why there are times where you should remain emotionless. You should. Mm -hmm. And actually that caused a lot of problems for Jace too. I know. I'm sorry. That's a whole thing. There's a club that forms later on in the show of, you know, have you died because of Clary and been brought back to life because of Clary? (laughs) Even I'm a member of that club eventually. Yeah. So, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole slog. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Speaking of brilliant performances, I remember on the day, everybody on the entire cast and crew was just stunned by Alberto and all of the elements as he's discovering what he has turned into and and like begging for it not to be real and all of these stages of grief that we've seen Clary go through in the beginning of the episode. It hit me again when I rewatched it. He is so freaking brilliant in every single tiny moment that he creates mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. Everything from, you know, his first emergence is this animalistic like creature-like thing that it has one thing that has sustenance on its mind and that's it. And once that is taken away, 
this, like you say, this sort of slow, this very gradual piece by piece realization of what's happening until he actually says the words, Clary, am I a vampire? No, you're the same Simon. And he's not, he isn't the same no. Simon. He's everything. He's things that he's afraid of. He's things that he's yeah. watched movies about that terrify him. And he's now that he's the boogeyman. And we get to watch him convey this like repulsion and shock and fear and anger and hatred for you and for himself and for what you know fear of, of what his future now holds for him and this all happens in three and a half minutes on screen because alberto's fucking brilliant yeah and it's all these little little tiny things of of discovering the teeth and how they feel in mm -hmm. his mouth and trying to say the word God and looking at the dirt and figuring out where he is. Because last the last time he was conscious, he was at the Hotel de Mort. Mm -hmm. And the next time he regains consciousness, he's underground. And that's interesting, you know, because again, in the script, it doesn't really say anything. They they gave this to Alberto. It just says, oh my, g g just the letter G and then an ellipsis after it. So it doesn't it doesn't finish the line. And Alberto came up with the concept of it being like stuck in his throat, almost like gagging, like the word physically. So he ended up with this sort of physical, like, oh my God. And it was like choking him. Yeah. And that was Alberto. That was Alberto's idea. And it was phenomenal because we didn't know what he was going to do until he did it. And again, especially when we were off camera, we get to just kind of witness this happening. Yeah. And it was, man, it was, it was like a chills kind of day. It was, it was really amazing. It was, and it wasn't just the mosquitoes. But you have to remember, mm. too, that what, what the audience might not know is that this was also three, four in the morning. We'd been shooting yeah. all day long. We'd already done so much that day. You know, Alberto had had to dig himself out of the ground several times at this point. And we were all exhausted, getting literally eaten alive by mosquitoes. But honestly, it was all worthwhile just to watch that performance. But the mm -hmm. fact that Alberto was able to do that in those circumstances and absolutely kill it take after take after take, it's just a testament to the great yeah. Alberto Resende III. It's interesting, you know, two things happen on set. And from my point of view, you don't hope for either one. It just, if it happens, then it's great and everyone appreciates what you've done. But you're just sort of trying to get the work done. But when you do a good fight scene, like a really good fight scene, people applaud. And that's mm -hmm. a really cool feeling if people are mm -hmm. like, wow, that was a good, especially when you've done so many over the course of the years. Yeah. When you do a really good scene like this, there's like stillness, like someone yeah. sucked all of the air out of the room because everyone has just sort of watched in awe. And this is what happened to Alberto. There was this like stillness across the set. And normally as soon as you call cut, people start working, doing things and whatever. And I remember this quite vividly. There was a cut and then just sort of a, just a beat of nothing where people were appreciating what Alberto did. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. It was a really cool moment. And that too is such a testament to our crew because mm -hmm. they didn't have to, you know, love the story and love the show and they didn't have to care, but they did. Yeah. And they were in it with us along for the ride of the story mm -hmm. as much as the technical side of it. And I think you see that on screen in every single element. You know, they cared about how the story was told as much as we did. And it was it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Speaking of the story, so mm -hmm. after this glorious performance from Alberto, he zips off into the aura, which is fun. Vamp speed is fun. Everyone in this, everyone on the set freezes. So Kat and I freeze in whatever position we're in, which we learned later on to be a more neutral position. Because if you're in the middle of like a point or something, you have to hold <laughs> that dead still for however long it takes for Alberto to run off into the distance. 
So now, n- normally now it's like, I'll put my hands in my pockets. I think that's what, I, what my character would be doing in this moment. Yeah. I'm just like, in my pockets. Simon disappears. We get our first moment of sort of, this guy's a member of the team from Raphael. Yeah. Don't worry. You guys won't catch up. I will. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to make sure that he transitions through this properly. And not only is that Raphael the leader, Raphael the team member, it's also Raphael the good Catholic, bless his heart. Mm-hmm, like it's the I guy know. who was raised caring about other people and looking after other people. Yeah. And after however many hundreds of years, that hasn't left him, um, which is really sweet. So, But there's a fun moment we get to see a new sort of team dynamic uh, slowly building. And then cut back to Isabel. And Isabel's made a remarkable discovery. Oh, yes. Also, I did want to bring up, we skipped over a little bit while we're on the subject of Raphael, um, Camille. Camille shows up to the graveyard and goes, I want my property. Because in vampire lore, if you turn a fledgling and they become a vampire, they are technically your property. They're your subordinate in a way in the vampire hierarchy. Um, and there's a term for it that I'm forgetting at the moment. But she refers to Simon as her property, which ooh, at this point, Clary's like, no, no. Not today. And not only does Raphael lay claim and go, no, it's her fault. This is her. If you follow her, we will be destroyed as a community. So, you know, basically, as we saw Luke did in a previous episode with Theo, Raphael makes his claim as the leader of the Vampire Clan of New York. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Now we cut to Isabel. I liked Scientist Isabel. I liked I Scientist too. Isabel and Drug Addict Isabel. Emerald did such a good job. Yeah. Those uh, those two especially were really cool, like, variations of that character. Mm-hmm. And I think she really crushed those. Indeed. So she discovers, what does she discover in essence? That, that he's a she Forsaken? She discovers angel blood. Ah, that's what it is. Why would a Forsaken have angel blood? Harker back all the way back full circle to the question we had earlier when old Blackthorn turns up with two, not one Forsaken, and one of those two Forsakens just disappears. And we're like, hey, man, where you going? What's going on? All of a sudden, and he comes into the Institute, a great John Core fight moment. Ah, the man knows how to fight. Another, I think another big injury in this. Really? I'm pretty sure. But I think he needed stitches. It was a it was a stunt fuck up. It was yeah, oh, it was pretty geez. bad. See, I wasn't there that day, so I didn't know. I wasn't either. I got told about it afterwards. I think it was there's a move where he holds up the bow staff mm-hmm. and just like a straight shot th- that is meant to go through the bow staff went too far and threw the bow staff and hit him in the top of the head, the crown of the head. Dear God. Pretty sure. Although I shouldn't speak out of turn. Let's let's confirm that. Right. So the cup is missing at this point. No, no, no. It's with you. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's why the Forsaken attack. No, it's They in don't the get safe. it at this point. It's still in the safe, they but they come it. looking mm-hmm. for it because they know it's at the Institute. So the Institute's in danger because of the cup. Correct. Simon's a vampire, mm-hmm. but on the loose. Mm-hmm. Alec is engaged to Lydia Branwell. Clary and Jace have both been through emotional trauma. Yeah. And... Now we're uh, left to pick up the pieces as we move into the next episode. Yeah. The next one is episode nine. I remember a lot of it. Seelies. I'm still, oh, that's what it is. Because I know I'm still dealing with vampire Simon. Episode nine is Seelies and Parabatai. That's episode nine. It's Seelies, Parabatai, and Simon making a lot of choices. Correct. Yeah. The the reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, a cool little fun fact. 
I can't remember what they're called, like glaives, like the the weapons that John used as Hodge, those sort of handheld oh, blades. Oh, yeah, they're like the scythe, but handheld scythes. Were yeah, yeah, yeah. also used in the film by... Oh, Jared Harris. Played by Jared Harris. <gasps> so same, I'm pretty sure those are the same props. I'm like 90% sure because um, we get to see them again later on and we chatted about them. So, yeah. We'll have to talk about the weapons, especially when we get into season two and we have the weapons room. We got we got a lot to discuss. There's lots of cool weapons coming. We have lots many more things. Lots of cool, fun, like, and we got to play and I wonder if anyone, I don't think anyone ever spotted the one very famous sword no. that was very often in the background. We spotted it. You used it several times. I was playing with it all the time. <laughs> there are like holes but- in our set floor because I used to drop them and they were pretty sharp. So they would like stick into the floor. It was a nightmare. Man, I mean, between the two of us, it's a it's a miracle that the whole set didn't fall apart between as clumsy as I am and as many holes as you put in things. It really, really is. Really, truly. Uh. I digress. Somehow we survived. Somehow. Well, Kat, until next week, it's been a pleasure as always. And everyone who listened, thank you so much. As always, I hope you're staying safe and happy and healthy. And we love you. Indeed. And thank you so much for listening to Return to the Shadows. We bid you Herondale and farewell. Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by me, Dominic Sherwood, and Catherine McNamara. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. And our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristin Vermilion. Original music by Alex Kinsey, performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. And the episode was mixed by Seth Alansky. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.